Daniel chapter 6, we're in a, a series um, kind of going through uh, stories from the Old Testament. And um, I can't find Daniel. Um, stories from the Old Testament, maybe ones that you hadn't heard in a long time. Um, so tonight we're going to look at Daniel and the lion's den. <laughs> Y'all like that story? It's a good one. It's a good one. Um, when I was in college, there's a, uh, is when I first started, I guess, like God began to, uh, I guess, um, call me to ministry, which I, that's one of those weird terms, I don't really know. But uh, the process, I guess, began long before I was awakened to it. And there's this book that, uh, that everybody was reading, not everybody, but like a bunch of my friends were reading it, like we were all kind of like in the same place. It was called The Purpose, Purpose Driven Church. It was by Rick Warren. And um, first time I had ever like really heard, or I guess maybe I just went at a point where I understood yet just about uh, Christians all being called to ministry, you know, and how the church is supposed to work and using gifts and, and our abilities and all this kind of stuff and how it wasn't just, you know, like the, the paid, you know, staff people who are supposed to do all the ministry stuff, you know, like how God's called all of us to do that and he's designed all of us to do that and, and everything. It was really very just revolutionary for me and, um, you know, there's the, that's really what the book was about, was about your entire church being kind of organized in a way that, or you're kind of falling underneath that one purpose, you know, purpose-driven, get it? Um, and so I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then there's, uh, at, the, at that church, the youth minister wrote a book called The Purpose-Driven Youth Ministry, and so, you know, I got that book, and it had a lot of the same things, but, you know, kind of in a different way, and and that whole idea of, of having like a purpose behind stuff and being really intentional kind of started to really form in me, you know. And then years later, uh, you know, the book comes out, uh, The Purpose Driven Life. And, uh, I mean, this, that book was insane as far as like the popularity, you know. Like, I mean, I'm at Sam's and there's just stacks of them, you know. People are taking like 10, you know. And I'm like, what's going on? And everywhere, and the book was just, just incredibly popular. Of course, churches were using it, but like companies were using it, and and people who you know had probably no real desire uh, as far as like getting to know God. There's something about I, I I really think the title drew a lot of people in, you know. And as the word spread, like oh yeah, it's about living with purpose, living with purpose. Um, I think that really tells us something about how like how we're all put together, you know, and how like God has designed humanity. Um, and I think the, the popularity of the book, one of the reasons why it was just so huge, I think, was because there's a, a longing in all of us to have some sort of purpose for life, you know? Like, we want to know that, that everything we're going through wasn't just for nothing. You know, we want our lives to count. Um, we want to have some sort of an impact, you know? And I think that's a lot of times why we kind of get down because, I mean... So many times I think we look around our lives and we're like, you know what? You know, it's kind of like that it's a wonderful life thing, you know? It's like, I, th- I think if I had never been born, uh, the world would not be any different, you know? And, and there's something in us that just, just, um, want, like just lunges at that. You know, like we don't want that at all. You know, we want the world to be a better place because of us, you know? And I think God's put us together like that. And that's why those self-help books and those help your life mean more and, and all those kind of books are so popular is because people, they want that. 
And a lot of times they're kind of looking in the wrong place, but it doesn't mean that that want's not there for all of us. Um, and I think, you know, you look, at, you look at parents who always talk about how they want their kids to have it better than they did, you know. I, that's, that's a part of that. It's a part of how God's made it, made it up is that you want to have that impact and have that influence. You want to be able to, uh, to grow old and to go on to heaven with that clear conscience of, like, I did, I did my kids right, you know. Um, before my grandfather died on my, on my dad's side, um, my grandmother had died like three months before, and uh, so my grandpa had this barbecue, and uh, like it was one of those barbecues where like it, my parents were like, cancel whatever you have, you need to come to this barbecue. And the whole point of it was uh, for my grandfather to give his inheritance to each of his four kids, you know? And... Um, it was just the most like surreal time. It was it felt like something from the Old Testament, you know, when when these old patriarchs would gather all their kids around them, you know, and that's exactly what happened. So all the grandkids that, who could come were there and were all there. And my grandpa he handed each of his kids a check, you know, and he made them look at it to make sure they knew it was all even, you know, and uh, and it was just the coolest thing. And but it meant so much to him, you know, it was just so important. That each of his that he could 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 really could pass on with that just knowing that legacy was going to continue, and knowing that his kids knew that he'd worked so hard his whole life for them. Um, all of us, every single one of us, we want to have an impact. Every single one of us, because it's a part of how God made us. And I think what's hard sometimes is we you know we study the Bible and we see all these examples. And I think, you know, you look at, at, like, Abraham, you know, who's like this huge figure, you know, in the Old Testament. And, and, and Moses, you know, this great leader. And, and Paul, who was a, a missionary and a church planter, you know, and the apostles and stuff. I think sometimes it's hard for us to really connect with them because we kind of have this, like, superhuman something, you know. Like, wow, they were, wow. Daniel was a normal guy. He had a government job. He clocked in and clocked out. Just regular guy. Went to work, worked his way through the, the government, wound up in a, very, in a very high position. But, I mean, he was, he was just kind of a normal kid. And he was, you know, he was a Hebrew, you know, he was Jewish. And so Nebuchadnezzar came in and they, uh, they like, Came in, wiped everybody out, you know, whatever. Took them all, marched them all over, and took them back to, to Babylon. And and what Nebuchadnezzar did was he was like, uh, he picked out some of the, the younger ones who looked like they could be good leaders one day. And he took them in, and he basically he wanted to strip away everything about them, who uh, everything like about them that was um, that was Jewish. He changed their names. He wanted to change their diets. He wanted to change their language. He wanted to change everything about them. And, and basically um, make them into like faithful servants. So he, you know, he changed their names and stuff, and, and that's how we get uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and Daniel was the other guy. And uh, so they took him and they, they educated him, and he learned all these languages and all this kind of stuff. And they started to realize, like, man, these these four kids are they're like head and shoulders above everybody else. So they started moving him up in the ranks and stuff like that. And Daniel made it to the point where he was basically put over the entire kingdom. Normal guy. Just worked hard. 
had the favor of God on him, um, and, and worked all his way up. And here he is this normal guy that has this huge impact on the people that were around him. And so I think there's something about being able to look at his story and, and be able to say, wow, he's normal, and he made an impact. I'm normal. I have a government job, you know. I have a normal job. I I clock in and clock out. I live paycheck to paycheck, you know. I'm. I think there's something about we can connect, especially in the, in the idea of having an impact on things. Um, let's take a look at this story for a few minutes. And I ran out of time. I know it's no excuse, so I don't have the verses up there. So we put them on the sheet on the back side of that sheet for you. Um, some of the ones that we're going to look at. I'm just going to kind of read the first part of the story. And what we're going to do is I'm going to look at, at three things about Daniel's life that led to him having a, an impact um, for the Lord uh, in his surroundings. It says, It pleased Darius, this is verse 1, to appoint 120 satraps, awesome, uh, to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Alright? Right there, we know a lot about him. Here's the first thing I think that, that about Daniel that led to him having an impact that I think you and I can connect with. The first one, um, he, there was integrity. There was integrity in his life. These guys are trying to, basically they're trying to set him up, trying to find a way, they're jealous of him, they're, you know, whatever. They're trying to find some reason, uh, something that he's done, and they just can't do it. Trying to dig up dirt on him, and they just can't. Because there was integrity in his life. The dude just, he did his job, and he did it well. Daniel was not the kind of guy who, who as an employee or whatever, did just enough to kind of get by. Anybody ever do that? No hands? No. Um, just enough to not get in trouble. Just enough so the boss doesn't know, you know. Just kind of like flying under the radar a little bit. Um, that's not how he lived his life. I can relate because that's how I went through college and seminary. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, doing just enough to get by, you know. It's got to be a 10-page paper. It's like nine and a little bit, you know. Got to have 10 sources. I'll have eight, you know. Hope, you know. Turn in a paper on Tuesday. Oh, well, I'll just turn it in on Thursday. No big deal. There's something about, like, integrity because as a Christian, it reflects reflects kind of what we think about God in some ways. I've told a story before. I, I was in a class in college, and it was a religious studies class. And 
there were, I don't know, 25 people in the class, and there were 10 of us that were all uh, involved in like the BCM or other, you know, campus ministries or whatever. And so the back of the room was like the Christian kids, and the front of the room were like the um, not Christian kids and like proud of it. And there was one dude that had a shirt, and his shirt said, uh, Christianity is stupid. Get over it. And he loved to wear it. He wore it a little too often, you know. Um, and so we would all sit in the back, and there was Christianity is stupid. Get over it, boy, in the T-shirt up in front of us. And, and it would just rubbed us the wrong way. You know, like, I can't believe he would wear that shirt, you know. And, you know, let's argue with him or whatever. And the thing is, over the course of the semester, um, who, who was skipping class all the time? The Christian kids. Who were turning in papers late? The Christian kids. Who were arguing with the professor about the wording of the syllabus so that we wouldn't get in trouble by stuff? The Christian kids. Who was going to class? The t-shirt boy. Who was turning in his stuff? The t-shirt boy. Who was participating in discussion? The t-shirt boy. And now I look back on it and I'm like, I wonder what, what that professor was thinking. Because this guy had been like a, a devout Christian and had basically walked away from the faith. And I wonder what he sat as he looked at, sat and he looked at that classroom, what, like, what that reflected to him about our faith and about our God. And you might think, oh, you're kind of being hard on yourselves or whatever, but I mean, the Bible does say that we need to do everything as unto the Lord, right? That's got to come down to, to integrity issues in school, integrity issues at work. It says something about who God is to us. It says something about our understanding of him. And Daniel had this integrity in his life to the point where they couldn't dig up anything, like not one, not one false thing. They were racking their brains trying to figure out how to, how to set him up, and they couldn't do it. And when I look at that, I'm very challenged, you know. Like I have to ask myself, like if someone, if, if, if a group in the church, in this church was like, let's overthrow, you know, let's get rid of Josh. Like I wonder how long it would take them to find something. Don't think about it too long. Um, I just wonder, you know, I wonder how much is out there for me. But the integrity that he had, I mean, what an, you, we'll see in a little bit what an impact the guy had. And so when we look at that, we really have to, to look at our own lives, too. And we say, okay, if I, want, if I want to have an impact in my workplace or, you know, at school or whatever, you kind of have to look around and say, all right, well, how much integrity am I, is being lived out through me, you know? How reliable am I? Am I doing just enough to get by or am I, just, am I pushing forward because, because God is the kind of God who pushes forward, you know? Is my work ethic, is my morality, is my, like, is all those things that's going on, are those accurate reflectors of God? To the point where just, just my work ethic alone gets people's attention. When I was teaching school, I mean, the, the kids, like, across the board, if there was a certain, like, type of student who was, like, just completely like just money all the time it was the mormon kids 
They were awesome, man. They were polite. They were on time. They would just go above and beyond. They would just do anything. Their parents were involved. I mean, it was just like, it was just like, like to stereotype them, they were like ideal. And it's not to say that the Christian kids weren't, but I mean, these kids like across the board just went above and beyond. And I had some phenomenal Christians, you know, who I taught or whatever, but there were lots of other ones who were, you know, just like, what's going on, you know? And that wasn't an indictment against any of them. It was more about me. I'm like on the faculty. I'm like, wow, what does my principal think? You know? Because there were Mormon teachers on the faculty. I wonder if the principal was like, man, Kazi's a slacker. It's Christians. Whew. I wish I had more Mormons on my faculty. You know? It should be the, the other way around, you know? And so it's a, a challenging issue because, because it makes so much sense, you know, and it's so practical for our lives. Just to look around and say, okay, if I want to impact these people, there's got to be some, some moral integrity, some uh, work ethic involved um, if, if we really want that to happen. So that's the, the first thing that, that we see. The second thing, um, as the story progresses, uh, without reading all of it, um, you know, at the end of it, they, they say the only way we're going to trip him up is if we, some, it has to do with his God. How cool would that be? To have such integrity in every aspect of life that your like, enemies or whatever know that the only way they can mess with you, it's got to involve your relationship with God. That's, that's strong to me, you know. That's strong to me, to, to push toward integrity to that degree, you know. Um, so here's what they do. They come up with this plan where uh, they want the king to make this rule that for 30 days uh, you can't pray to any god or any man except for the king. And they want them to make it just like the, the, the Medes and the, and the Persians who whenever they would make a law and they'd cut it into stone, um, for 30 days, once it was made, even the king couldn't reverse it. So that's their plan is let's make a rule that you, so that Daniel can't pray to his god and make it a rule that even the king, who loves Daniel, I mean, like, that's his boy, you know, the king can't even overturn it. So they tr- kind of trick the king into doing this. The king's like, yeah, that sounds good. I like to, you know, I'll be the man for 30 days. And he makes this rule. And so Daniel finds out about it. Look at verse uh, 10. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window is open toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. All right? Daniel gets the word, and what does he do? He just does what he normally does. It's time to pray. So he goes home, gets in a window to perform this illegal action in the window. Why? Because Jews who had been exiled, they liked to pray. They, they, they would face Jerusalem when they prayed. If they were in Jerusalem, they would face the temple. And so that's where he went. That was as his custom. That's where he uh, communed with, with the Lord. And so he went and he did that. And he did it three times a day for everybody to see. Now, was he a show-off? No. Was he rebellious? No. Here's the second thing about his life. Um, there was order in his heart. He had a well-ordered heart. He had a decision to make. Um, Relationship with God, 
through prayer, that connection, that lifeline, or um, obey this decree and risk being thrown into the den of lions, which was the punishment, by the way. Um, he had a, a decision to make. And the thing is, in, in Daniel's heart, okay, relationship with God is greater than um, obeying this law that would force him to contradict that. His relationship with God trumped everything else. That was the order of his heart. Now, he respected the king. He had, had worked his way up. I mean, he was a servant of the king. He was trusted. He understood everything. I mean, he was, he was a part of, of the system, a part of this government you know, deal, whatever. He, was, he wasn't this, like, rebel. But his heart was ordered in the right way. And I look at that. And that is another thing that just kind of pierces me. Because see, a lot of times we think our heart is ordered a certain way. We think it's like relationship with God. And then like if you guys are married, like spouse, you know, and then kids. And then, you know, maybe church or job or whatever. Um, we think that, that we know this order. But a lot of times the order of our heart shows up when we have to make a decision. That's, that's, where it, that's how we really know what our hearts, how our hearts are ordered. Um, if you're trying to get home and there's a lady on the side of the road who has a flat tire and she's out in the rain and stuff like that, that's one of those choices where you're like, okay, what's, what's greater? My need to get home because I've had a long day and I'm tired or I'm hungry or you know, there's a game on or whatever. What's greater, that need or this lady's need? And it's, it's in those choices a lot of times that we see kind of how our hearts are, are being ordered, you know. Um, and what we think is the order, sometimes what we need to do is kind of maybe ask other people. I was reminded of this scene, uh, I was listening to this guy preach the other day, and he like, brought this scene in the, movie, uh, in the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Anybody? No? Bueller? No? Um, and... Uh, there's a scene, you know, so Ferris skips school, all right, to bring you guys up to speed. Ferris skips school, and uh, he um, convinces his best friend named Cameron, thank you, uh, to, uh, who is actually, he's actually sick. He convinces him to come and hang out in the city of Chicago all day. Then they go to the school, and they um, come up with this excuse to get his girlfriend named Sloan. Yes out of class. So the three of them basically just spend a day in Chicago doing all kinds of stuff that nobody could ever get away with and it's totally unrealistic but still it holds a special place in my heart. Um, and so Cameron's dad is really rich and he's got this really just amazing sports car and they take it out and they drive it around and their plan is to, when they get it back, they're going to uh, like uh, jack the car up, put it in reverse and let the wheels go backwards to undo the mileage. And uh, which, so they put all these miles on the car, and his dad like knows exactly how many miles are on it. You know, he's just obs and he keeps saying like, my dad is obsessed with this car. My dad, he loves this car. This is his life. He's gonna, he's gonna kill me if anything happens to it. Whatever. And Ferris is like, no, don't worry, Cameron. You're just paranoid. Whatever. They get back. They jack the car up. Put the put a brick on the uh, gas pedal, so, and it sits there, and it goes and goes and goes. And of course, it doesn't work. Go figure. And so they're not sure what to do. And 
there's a scene, and it's, it's really like it's, it's powerful because Cameron starts to kick this car, you know? Remember the scene, Mike? And he's like, I hate this car. I hate this car. My dad loves this car. I hate this car. And he starts kicking it, and he kicks it, and he kicks it, and he's just unleashing all his rage on this car. And, of course, it knocks off the jag, and it shoots out the back off the, into the woods or whatever and blows up or something. But it's a really, it's an amazing scene because here's this object of his dad's affection that he has grown to resent and to hate because that's affection that should be coming to him, and it's really going to this car. And the preacher I heard talking about it was talking about why so many times preachers' kids, when they get to a certain age and they get old enough, they just go crazy and they hate the church. Because that car in Cameron's world is kind of like the church sometimes in preachers' kids' world. They look at, at, at this church and they're like, my dad loves you. My dad gives everything for you. He gives all his time to you. He's completely devoted to you. I hate you. I hate everything about you. You've robbed me of something. And I wonder if we bring that into, into like everyday life, if maybe some of the people in our lives would say that the order of our hearts is really different than what we think our order is. So I wonder if there are things that, that we are just constantly choosing. And we have to choose, we have to make those decisions. We're always choosing ourselves or we're choosing some sort of possession. We're, we're choosing, I mean, you, you name it. I could, I could rattle off all kinds of examples in my own life uh, of things that, where I'm, I'm constantly choosing what, what I know I shouldn't choose, you know? If it's the lady with a flat tire or it's the fact that, that I've got something I need to do when I get home or I'm hungry, you know, or I'm trying to make it home because kickoff is in a little while or whatever. There's so many times, not that example verbatim, but so many similar things where I'm like, it's like help somebody else or do something for me, and I choose to do something for me. And I hate that. And I hate that because it shows that my heart is, the order is always just flipping around and flipping around and flipping around. And you see, in Daniel's life, his heart was in the right order. And that well-ordered heart has an impact on people because these guys were like, we can't find anything about him. If we're going to mess with him, it's got to be about God because that's, that's the deal breaker. That is non-negotiable in his life. You think about the impact that that has on the, the people that you work with or you go to school with or you hang out with or your friends or whatever. Think about the impact that that has on them when they can look at your life and they see integrity in everything, but also that, that they see how ordered it is. They know that if, if they need you, you're going to forego what's important to you to help them. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. It, it, it doesn't matter. If you need me, I'm going to be there. Imagine the, the kind of impact. You know the people in your life who are like that. You know the people in your life who, who you could have called last night at 8.15 when we're waiting for the other game to end so that the LSU game could come on, and you know people in your life that you could call and say, hey, I need you right now to help me do something. They'd be like, okay, cool. You know who they are, and you know the impact that they have and what a blessing they are in your life. I'm not saying LSU football is bad, all right? What I am saying is that, that when it, 
when LSU football or um, possessions or a job or anything, whenever they become so out of order um, in our lives, you know what happens to those people that are around us? They end up being kind of like Cameron and end up hating that car or hating that job or hating that whatever. And I know when I see the decisions that I make and my glaring, misordered heart shows up, I know how much I hate it. And so I need God to, to reorder those things, you know. That becomes something of, of prayer for me where I'm like, gosh, I'm completely self-absorbed, you know. I'm like, I just drove by this lady who I know I should have helped. Like, what's wrong with me? And what, what do you do with that? Do you beat yourself up? No, you're like, all right, uh, God, so there's something wrong, you know? I need you to take this heart of mine that, that you, it's yours, and I keep trying to, like, mess with it, and uh, you need to just, like, just ban me from access to it or whatever. You know, I need you to, to get it to where when I see someone who needs my help or someone needs me or whatever, that that's the first thing that I do. If there's a lack of integrity in life, you, that becomes what you pray about. If there's a, a misordered heart, that becomes what you pray about. But it's, it's pursuing that relentlessly because, because if we really want to have an impact, I mean, wh- why would we sit back and just let all these things that have the reverse effect continue, you know? So here's Daniel, and, and he's made this decision. You know, he's, he's decided prayer to God, relationship with God is greater than this law. His heart is in the right order. So he's in the window, and of course, it's exactly what the, the guys want. And so they run and tattle, which, you know, don't you love people who tattle? Um, they're awesome. Um, God bless them. And so they run and they tattle on him. And the king is like, you know, oh man, <laughs> what have I done? Because, because, of, and because of the way they convinced him to do the law, I mean, it was irreversible for 30 days. I mean, the king couldn't even do it. And so he tried to, to figure out a way, and it just, he just couldn't do it. And so verse 16 says, The king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, threw him in the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, oh, look, You want to talk about impact? Listen to this. Right before he's going to be executed, basically, he says, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. That's that's impact right there, you know. That's purpose. That's that's a, a legacy, you know. That's like that's that's tremendous. To have the king see that integrity and to see that heart that's in the right order lived out over and over and over and over again. You ever have somebody come to you who wants nothing to do with God ever? And then something completely horrible goes down, and they're like, would you pray for me? And you're like, what? And that's the thing, because in those times, I mean, that's, that's what happens. When there's integrity in our lives and our hearts in the right order, we don't realize the impact that we're having, and sometimes it just takes, it's in those little moments those moments, uh, they're just difficult when someone's like, hey, would you like pray for me? Because that's an impact that you're having. So the king says this to Daniel, and they throw him in the, the den of, of the lions, and they cover it up with a rock. 
And the king is just like, it just bothers him. You know, he can't sleep, he can't eat, he's like up all night, he's just worried. He's got that guilty conscience, maybe. I mean, there's just something not right, and he's just making him sick. And so look at verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. He had integrity. He had a, a well-ordered heart. The last thing is that he... He had faith. He trusted God, you know, in the face of uh, death, in the face of disappointing the king who he had served so faithfully, who had trusted him and he had this relationship with, um, in the face of ruining his reputation among all these people, you know, who he had all this impact on, um, that. And really, I mean, this was the price for uh, the order of his heart. In the midst of all that, he trusted God. I don't know that he, it means that he like, knew going into it, I'm not going to be hurt at all. You know, He probably thought, I'm about to get eaten alive. But regardless, Scripture says he trusted God. Integrity, order, faith. I mean, those are all things that are so practically, like, applied to our lives. And you imagine when all those things are, are present and it's consistent with, with someone that, that you've worked with for a while or, or lived with or your family members or whatever. Like, imagine how God uses those things um, and imagine those, three, those things being consistent in, like, the ups and the downs of life, um, the difficult times, things that we go through. Imagine that being consistent about your life all the way through that. Imagine the impact that you would have, that you will have, that you do have um, on those lives around you. That's how, that's how God has designed us to live. Like the song just a minute ago, to shine like stars. I mean, like that's, that's you. Think about where, think about where you work. You're, you were there shining like a star in the universe, according to Scripture. That's wild. So that integrity is shining, and that ordered heart is shining, and that faith is shining. So God uses those things to touch people. And so here's the impact that David had as we close up. Verse 25, the king Darius wrote... To all the people, nations, and men's of and men's <laughs> and men of every language throughout the land, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for He is the living God, and He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed; His dominion will never end. 
He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This king sends out this decree. So Daniel's faithfulness to his relationship with God and and, and all those things that we've talked about led to a decree that goes out to the entire kingdom. I wonder if he ever would have thought, as they were dragging him to that lion's pit, the kind of impact that he would have had, you know? I wonder if he ever would have thought that we would be here tonight in the year 2007 talking about his story and his life. Probably not. He probably really wouldn't get that excited about it. He would probably be excited about the fact that God used him to impact the people around him. And it's great that those ripples have gone, you know, as long as they have. But God just took this ordinary guy with a government job, with a whole lot of integrity, and an amazing heart and a lot of faith. And he used them to have an impact on the people around him. Now, if you and I, if we really, like, if we're really serious about, about this... But our lives having purpose and meaning and, and uh, the world being a better place because of, of our existence in it. We've got to, we've got to let God um, purify us and refine some of these things in us. And if from the moment I said integrity tonight, you're like, oh, that's me, you know. Or if when we're talking about weighing things out, other people's needs versus ours, and you're like, oh, gosh, that's me. Or when we talk about faith and you're just like, I have trust issues with God so bad, like I just want to hide before I'd even admit it. Then what happens is that becomes, then it needs to move to the top of what you're praying about. You know, you need to take that to him and say, God, what are we going to do about this? I want to be used by you. I want to be used um, for your glory. And I, I, I want to have that impact. Help me push through my insecurities and my rough edges God, refine me, make me look like you. Look at what he did with Daniel. And I look on this side of the cross where you've got his spirit living inside of you. And you've been given everything you need for life and godliness through knowing him. Let's, Let's pray together.